0: This is KMTT, and the weekly HaShavu Shavuos this year, Tavshin Ayn, will be given by Harav Chanoch Waxman. This week, Pashat Truma, we begin a, a new segment of Sefer Shmot. While well, until this point in time, Sefer Shmot has dealt with the redemption from Egypt. The story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and likewise the events at Har Sinai. Here, as a parakafay, the Torah opens and a new topic and begins to discuss the dedication or the volunteering of objects for the assembly of the Mishkan. And the Torah says as follows in parakafay, pasuk um, bet Yisrael speak to the Yisrael and take from each libo from every man who has a giving heart to kuet Vizotat et Shuma, etc., etc. The Torah continues on with a kind of laundry list, a list of the items to be donated uh, to the Mishkan, and then eventually in Parakafay, pasukhet near the beginning of Parshat uh the Torah comes to a very crucial um, and um, prominent verse. And in Parakafay, Pasukchet says as follows: Vaasuli Migdash, and the idea being you will take all of these materials Vishakhanti, and you will make a, a sanctuary, a Migdash. Vishachanti bittocham, and I will dwell amongst them or dwell amongst you. The Torah here informs us of the purpose of all of the donation and the purpose, primarily to some extent, of this entire segment of Sefer Shemot, the making of a Migdash, Vishachanti bittocham, and the dwelling of God amidst B'nai Israel. And the obvious question, kind of the crucial issue that I would like to begin to discuss in this Shiur, is what does this mean? Uh, what is the idea of shachanti B'Tocham? What is really the meaning of God dwelling amidst the B'nai Yisrael? And this, of course, is a complicated question. Um, now, to share with you Abar Benel's formulation of this question, uh, he has a rather sharp and philosophical formulation of this question. In his first question on Prashat Shuma, uh, writes as follows. La'a tziva yitbarach why did God command the making of the Mishkan? And He said, "I will dwell amidst you." As if, as if God was something Geshem, material, Mukaf, surrounded or limited, Bamakom, in place. Uh, that God should so to speak, contained, something physical and material that can be contained within place. Uh, and, of course, God is exactly the opposite of that. God is immaterial. God is non-physical. God be contained in any sense in any particular place. He's not material, nor a force of the material. And how could a place be assigned to God? Rabbi Abedal here engages or indicates a kind of philosophical formulation of the problem. If God is immaterial, unlimited, unbound, how can we Talk about him dwelling amongst B'nai Yisrael, b'shachanti b'tocham, as if he is material, as if he is physical, as if he is bound to a particular place. Now, regardless, regardless whether we share Abrabanel's philosophical inclination, philosophical formulation of the problem, still, as a textual and theological problem, the question is important. What does the Torah mean, or what is the idea, or the central concept of Asuli Migdash, the dwelling amidst B'nai Yisrael? This is one question I would like to discuss in the Shi'ur. Now, in addition, um, I think there's a kind of another interesting question uh, which arises here, which in some sense might be a key uh, to dealing with this question of the meaning of Ishkati B'Tocham. And what I have in mind is going back briefly uh, to the previous parashat in the Torah, towards the end of Parak Kafdalid, but it might be thought of as the end of the second part of Sefer Shmot, where we get the ends of the story of what happened at Har Sinai. In Parakaf David, pasuk Yidbet the Torah uh, tells us as follows: Vayom Hashem Amoshe Alei Hara, come up to me onto the mountain. VeYesham and um, I will, you will be there. VeEtna Lachat Luchot I will give you the tablets of stone. Vatorah baMitzvot Ashakatavti. So God commands Moshe to ascend the mountain, and there upon the mountain, God will teach him. God will give him Torah. God will give him the Eben, the, the Torah, the Mitzvah, everything He'd written, and a few psukim later in Parak Kafdalid, Pasuk Tedvav, Vayal Moshe Alahar Veichasa Nanatahar. Moshe did in fact indeed go up on uh, to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And then when Moshe went up onto the mountain, at the end of that little segment of the Torah in Parak Kafdalid, Pasuk Yurchet, in the Pasuk, immediately preceding the beginnings of the command uh, of the Mishkan, the Torah says, Moshe came into the cloud, he went up onto the mountain, Moshe was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So, the immediate uh, preceding section to the command of the Mishkan, which begins in Per is is this story of the Aliyah of Moshe onto the mountain to get the Luchot and the Torah, the entrance of Moshe into the cloud, and the fact that he is there for 40 days and 40 nights? And this is kind of the end of the story of Har Sinai, which can be more or less thought of as being found between Perak Yudchet, Yudet, or so in Sefer Shmot, running through Perak kafdal to the end of Perak kafdal at about. Five or six prokim, And this is the last story. Moshe's ascent and he's up there on the mountain 40 days, 40 nights. And then we move over to a new segment of the book, the Perk Kafai. Shuma, the beginning of the story of Mishkan and Egel. And Mishkan and Egel are kind of the themes that take us through the end of the Sefer. And the question I would like to propose or to present is, Ma'inyan etzel Ze' What is the connection? Why are these stories juxtaposed to each other? Is there any deeper meaning to these stories being juxtaposed to each other. On the one hand, Moshe on the mountain, on Har Sinai, and on the other hand, the command of the Mishkan. Now, of course, on the simple plane, if we follow Ibn Ezra and Ramban, that all of these psukim, or this part of Sefer Shmot, is in chronological order. The events reported to us in the Chumash, uh, reported by the text, happened in exactly the order that they are reported to us that we do not say then of course the answer to this latter question is on some level fundamentally simple there's a chronological relation between Moshe's ascent to the mountain found at the end of Parak Kafdalid and the story of the command of Mishkan found at the beginning of Perak Kav at the beginning of Parashat Shumat it's when, in Perk Kaphtal, Pasik Yitzain, Ve'avo, Moshe, Anan Ve'yala, Lahar, Ve'yim, Moshe, Bahar, Abbe'im, Yom, Barbe'im, Layla it's when Moshe was up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. That's when he was commanded by God. In the very next Pasuk, Kafe, Aleph, and Bet, by Daber, Hashem, and Moshe, and God spoke to Moshe when he was up there on the mountain for those 40 days and 40 nights. Daber, El, Bene, Yisrael Bekuli, Chumah, etc. So there's certainly, obviously, if we follow Ibn Ezra Ramban, a chronological relation between the end of Perkaftalad, the story of Moshe's ascent to Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, and of course what happens afterwards, the command of the Mishkan, the latter happens during the former and there's a chronological relation. But the question is, is there anything more? Is there perhaps a deeper connection between the story of the end of Perkaftalad and the story of the command of the Mishkan, other than just mere chronology? So those are the two issues I'd like to discuss. One. The uh, meaning of the idea of Veshachanti B'tocham, God dwelling amidst the Jewish people, and this is what the Mishkan is all about. And two, the juxtaposition of Parakafdalad, the end of Parakafdal, the story of Moshe's ascent, and Parakafe, the command of the Mishkan. Now, what I'd like to do is begin with the second question, and to, on some plane to build off of a famed Torah of Ramban, uh, a famed um, teaching. Of Ramban, uh, which has to do with interesting connections between the Mishkan on the one hand and Sinai on the other hand. Um, to put this in some terminology that I utilized a bit earlier in this year, on uh, connections between part two of the book, Perek Yirchet through Perek Kafei, respectively, what we might think of as Sinai, and part three of the Sefer, part three of the book, Perek uh through Perek Mem, the end of the book. Mishkan and Egel, on the other hand. Um, let us begin. If you go back to the Pasuk, pasuk we began with, Perek Kafhe, Pasuk chet, says as follows, Asuli Migdash Vishachanti B'tocham. Of course, the word used for dwelling is V'sha'chanti, to dwell, it's a verb form. Well, if we go back to Perek um the story of Moshe's ascent, interestingly enough, that very same term appears in Perekh We take a look at Perekh Kavdalet, Pasuk Tetzayin, after the cloud covers the mountain. Bayishkon quote Hashem al-Harsinai. And God's glory dwelt or descended upon Harsinai. Vayishkon, it's a verb um, and it parallels of course the vishakanti found in Perekh Kavai, Pasuk Chet. And the idea is, is that where, where does God's uh, dwell, or where does uh, his shchina shochen? where does his presence dwell or descend? In the Mishkan. And the Mishkan is called Mishkan because of this connection to Vayishkon and Shekhan and shchina etc. So what we have here is of course a certain connection between the story of Perkaftal and the story of Perkafei, a connection between um, Mishkan and Sinai, that they both are forms of Mishkan. Um, and this of course is a point well made by Ramban. Now, uh, while Ramban develops the parallels or connections between Mishkan and Sinai in a particular fashion based upon uh, a particular text, I think the best way to develop it is to jump for the moment all the way to the end of the Sefer, to the end of Sefer Shemot, to Perak Mem. Um, and then to compare that to our story here at the end of Perak Kafdal, the uh, ascent of Moshe. And I think some of the connections are rather striking. So if we go for a moment... Uh, to Perek Mem. We pick it up in Parakmem Mem, Pasach Lamed Gimel, the end of Parshat Pekudeh, the last few Pesukim of Sefer Shmot, uh, which describes what happened when Moshe finished assembling the Mishkan for the very first time. Perek Mem, Pasach Lamed Gimel says as follows, Vayakam et saviv laMishkan, and Moshe set up the Chatzer around the Mishkan, v'la and around the mezbeach, v'yitain masach sh'ar Moshe et Moshe finished all of the malacha. And then what happened? Parakmem Mem, Pasach Lamed Dalad, Vayichas ha'anan et o'mo'ed. And the cloud covered the o'mo'ed. And it goes on, Uk'vod Hashem Malay et mishkan, And the glory of God filled the mishkan. We have here three elements that we can pick up. The first is Vayichas ha'anan, the cloud, uh, covered uh, this place, the o'mo'ed. Uk'vod Hashem, we have a reference to the glory of God. And third, malei et We have the language of mishkan, shechina, Dwelling here, of course, referring to the building. Now, if we go back to Perak Dalad, the story of Aliyat Moshe and Tahar Sinai, the story of Har Sinai, if we go back to Perak Kafdalid, Posek Tetva, the thrust is as follows. We have the language of Echas Anan, the covering by the cloud, and this is one. And here we have two, the Kvod Hashem, it is the Glory of God that is embodied in the cloud and the covering by the cloud. And three, we have the term shin kaf nun vayishkon. Here, as opposed to mishkan later on, we have three parallels between the story of Moshe's ascent onto Har found the end of parak kafdalat, and the story in parak mem. What happened the day that the mishkan was completed? But in fact, there's a little bit more. If we go back to parak mem pasuk lamid hey and read on, we find the following. Moshe Lavo el Ohel Mo'ed, and Moshe could not enter uh, into the tent of meaning, because the cloud uh, dwelt upon it. mishkan. Now of course we have here again the Shinah language, Alav, and we have the Anan again, we have the Hashem, and it kind of repeats itself. But there's another Meta-linguistic element that appears, or a kind of thematic element of loyachal moshe Lavo. Moshe could not enter. When the cloud arrived, and so to speak, the Shekhinah came into the Mishkan on the first day when it was set up, Moshe was mu'ukav. Moshe was prevented from coming in because of the concentrated and direct presence of Shekhinah. Now, this fourth notion, uh, uh, this fourth element of Moshe being mu'ukav, in fact, we have that as well in the story of Harsinai back in Parak Kafdalid. Pasuk Ted if we continue reading on um, in that Pasuk, what we have is And the uh, glory of God dwelt upon our sinai in the cloud covered. For six days. And then, on the seventh day, and only on the seventh day, God called to Moshe, and so to speak, summoned him in. Now, what does this mean? That during those six days, Moshe was mu'ukav. On the thematic plane, Moshe could not enter uh, into uh, into the area of God, into Har Sinai. And like, just as here at Har Sinai, Moshe was in Mokav, he was kept back, he couldn't enter. So too later on, when the Mishkan was set up, Moshe was in Mukav, he couldn't enter, he was kept back. Now, how does it culminate in our first story, the story of Sinai, in prayer Moshe was summoned in, and he was called in, and then he entered, he went up to the upper spheres of the mountain, to the upper realms of the mountain. Now, fascinatingly enough, likewise, at the end of Sefer Shmot, when you have the Anan and the Kavod and the Mishkan, and Moshe being kept back, or muhukav, how does it end? Well, in Sefer Shmot itself, there is no particular mention of Moshe being summoned. But we all should remember the first Pasuk of Sefer Vayikra. The way Sefer Vayikra begins is with that word. Perk Aleph, Pasuk Aleph, Vayikra, Vayikra El Moshe, and God called to Moshe and spoke to him from the Omohade. Okay. Um, now, both Ramban and Ibn Ezra take the approach that the very beginning of Sefer Vayikra is a direct chronological continuation of the story found at the end of Sefer Shmot. On that day, when the Mishkan was set up and the cloud of God filled the Mishkan and Moshe was held back, then Vayikra, God summoned and called him in after he being held back, and he came in to the inner sanctum, to the inner space where God was. And again, this creates a parallel to the story of Har Sinai, and this is the fifth element. If the fourth is Moshe being held back, the fifth is isn't being called in. Now, there's actually one more which completes this Mishkan-Sinai parallel, or this Sinai-Mishkan parallel, uh, the end of part two of the book and the end of part three of the book. The last few verses of Sefer Shemot, the last two verses, read as follows. Anan Mishkan, uh parakmampasiklamid Vav. When the cloud rose from upon the Mishkan, Yesu Bineysa Bhokh Maasaham, Bineysa would travel upon their journeys. Vimloyeh halaha anan, and if the cloud would not rise, Lo Yisu Ajom Heloto, they would not travel until the cloud did arise. And Pasuk Lamed ends the Sefer. Ki Anan Hashem ala Mishkan Yomam The cloud of God was upon the Mishkan, the sanctuary during the day. Ve'esh Tiyalayla Bo and a fire at night. La'inei kol Beit Yisrael to the eyes of all Israel v'chol Maaseim and all their travels. Suddenly, and strangely enough, here at the end of Sefer Shmot. Uh, the Torah starts to talk about the signal system for traveling there was a cloud during the day and if the cloud rose they traveled if the cloud didn't rise they didn't travel and this manifestation of the cloud appeared to them as an ash, as a fire at night and this is what B'nai Yisrael saw and this was the signal system for traveling but when did all that occur? all that occurred later on in Sefer Bamidbar um, in the book basically that describes the travels of Am Yisrael in the desert after the Mishkan had been set up. And it's as if here at the very end of Sefer Shemot the Torah telescopes all the way ahead to Sefer B'Amin Bar to indicate us something about how the travel system worked. But the question is what is the possible relevance or meaning of that to the day that the Mishkan was set up? The answer can be realized is if we go back to the very end of Parakafdalad and take a look at the very last pasuk of Parakafdalad, the end of the story of Moshe the Center in Har Sinai and the description of Har Sinai that we have there in Parakafdalad pasuk Yidchet. The Torah says, "By Moshe Anan." Uh, um, no, I'm sorry, the last two passages of Marek. And the appearance of the glory of God was like a consuming fire to the eyes of B'nai Yisrael. And Moshe came into the cloud. What B'nai Yisrael saw at Har Sinai was Eish and Anan. Anan during the day and Eish at night, cloud and fire. And this is how it appeared to B'nai Yisrael. It's this sixth element, the appearance to the eyes of B'nai Yisrael of Ash and Anan, of fire and cloud. That is what telescoping ahead to Sefer B'Amibar ends to the as the end of Sefer Shmot. We have here at the end the fact that things appeared to B'n'ai Israel. Uh, Just as Sinai appeared as fire and cloud to the eyes of B'nai Israel, so to the Mishkan from the day it was set up and on appeared to um, B'n'ai Israel as the presence of God appeared as cloud and fire. So we have here, at the very least, six connections between the end of Parakafdalad and the end of Mem. Six connections between um, the end of uh, the ascent of Moshe and Sinai at the end of Parakafdalad and the Mishkan, the day it was set up, and six connections between the end of Part Two of the book Sinai and the end of Part Three of the book. Mishkan ve'egel. And what are they? Well, there's the kavod of Hashem, the glory of God. There's the Shekhinah language. There's the cloud covering. There's the fact that Moshe's held back and he's called in in both cases. And there's the fact that it appears as Eish Anan, the eyes of Israel in both cases. And there are actually quite a few more. But all of this is the idea of the parallel between Mishkan and, and Sinai. Um, the fact that on some level, and I think the point is, is that they're really the same thing. The second and third parts of the book end the same way. And now we understand why the command of the Mishkan is juxtaposed to Perak Kapitaled. It appears here on the, on the seam line, at the end of the story of Har Sinai because they're in some sense the same thing. On some level, what the language of Mishkan and Vaishkon teaches us is that the Mishkan is a kind of continuation of Har Sinai, a kind of almost portable Har Sinai. And that's, I think, the explanation of a lot of the textual facts here. The notion of the Mishkan as a, a continuation of Harsinai, a portable Harsinai. And on some level, as I pointed out, this is part of Torah Ramban, something that Ramban has already uh, taught us. Now, to take this a little bit further and to deal with not so much the technical second question I asked about the juxtaposition of the parshiot, but the first essential question about what Mishkan uh, or the v'sha'chati b'tochah means. I think we've only, to some extent, pushed this to another place. Because what we've argued is, is that um, Mishkan is a kind of portable Harsinai. And it's the kind of same sense that you had the presence of God in Harsinai. You had the presence of God in in the Mishkan. Um, But this just really kind of begs the question. And what we need to do is to go a little bit deeper into the idea of Shekhinah and Harsinai, um, to be able to understand what the joint concept of Shekhinah and Har Sinai and Shekhinah in Mishkan means. Um, now, of course, we're not really the, the first uh, people to note these facts. And on some level, the Mepharshim take this idea of Shekhinah, whether it be on Har Sinai or in the Mishkan, in slightly different directions. Uh, on the one hand, you have the position of someone like like Ramban. Who talks about Shekhinah as a kind of metaphysical indwelling of the Shekhinah, a kind of real presence, uh, a real essential presence of God that was in Har Sinai and that continued on with B'nai Israel in the Mishkan, and hence that's the explanation of all of the parallels that we indicated. On the other end, on the other extreme, you have a thinker like Abarbanel, who does not view of Shekhinah as a kind of essential indwelling of a real presence of God on Sinai and the Mishkan, but he views it in a more symbolic way as a kind of symbol of God's hashkacha, of God's providence, of God's will. And in fact, he says that the whole notion of Shekhinah is simply a symbol of God's providence in the continuation of the comment that I began with earlier on in the Shira. Now, without prejudicing this philosophical interpretive argument uh, between Ramban and Abar Benel, uh, I would like to try to add uh, some other elements or additional elements uh, that I think emerge on some level from the text of the Chumash itself um, regarding um, the meaning of Shekhinah at Sinai and Mishkan, and um, what the Mishkan-Sinai parallel is all about. Um, and I think there are two points I would like to make. Let us begin by picking up on a theme which I think can first be noted uh, back in Perek Yud when the story of Harsinai begins and on some level what what God coming to Harsinai is, is all about, which may help us move things further and unpack some of the problems that we've raised. To we go back to the moment, to Parakutet Tet uh, there um, God tells Moshe what the purpose of the revelation or the upcoming revelation Harsinai is going to be. Pasuk Tet says as follows. Um, Hashem came to Moshe uh, and I got to Moshe. I'm going to come to you in a thick cloud. So that the people will hear when I speak to you. And also in you they will believe forever. It's the purpose, the professed primary purpose of the Revelation, Harsinai. God says, I'm coming in the thick cloud, the Shechina, quote unquote. Why? Yishma'am mach. So that people will hear when I speak to you. The purpose is hearing. The purpose is debor. The purpose is communication. And, of course, as we go on in the story of Parakutet Kaf, the story of Harsinai, etc., the notion of debor is very central. Parakaf Pasak Aleph, for example. God spoke all of these words. Or we take a look in Parakaf. Pasuk in the immediate aftermath of the Asarot the Torah says, um, or Pasuk sorry, Bayom Hashem Amosheh in Parakaf Pasuk Bayom Hashem God said to Moshe, Ko Tamar al Yisrael atem ritem ki min dibarti imachem. What Harsinai Sinai is all about in Parak and Kaf. Is hearing. It's about Dibur. It's about Dibur before, it's about Dibur in the Asertha and it's about Dibur afterwards. It's about communication of Torah, it is about teaching on some level. And that's really what it's about. It's about command and Torah. And that's the purpose of the Revelation of Harsinai. Now, if we think about it uh, for a moment, um, in point of fact, um, at the beginning of Parshat Truma, um, when God commands the Mishkan, after commanding the collection of the materials and the purpose, the telos of the Mishkan, the idea of vishachanti b'tocham, the first um, command, uh, the first object that uh, is commanded to be fashioned, to be made, is of course the Aron. And at the end of Parshat Aron, um, in cafe, uh pasuk. Kafalov, we come to these very very important pesukim. Kafef pasuk Kafalov says as follows: Vnatata eta kaporet al haron You'll place the kaporet on top of their own above. Al haron stay not to edut. You'll place the testimony. Asheretin alecha pasuk kafet. Vno adeti lecha sham, and I will meet with you there. Vidibati itcha me ala kaporet, and I will speak with you from above the kaporet me banesh ne akor mashaallah ani dot it calla shart savotkha it so god says i will speak to you there in the tent of meeting i'll meet you there moshe and i will speak to you from uh above the kaporet between the Kruvim, calla shart savotkha The process of revelation, of command, of Torah, of teaching is supposed to continue on. The process that began at Har Sinai of giving over of Dibur is meant to continue in the Mishkan. It is a mechanism of communication, a continuation of Har Sinai in the sense of a means for teaching Torah, of ongoing revelation to Moshe. And last but not least, we can of course see this. Um, in uh, the end of the sefer, the end of the story of Mishkan, again in parak mem, pasuk lamed and, and on, God calls Moshe into the Mishkan on the first day that it is set up, and what happens in veikra parak aleph and on, parak aleph pasuk aleph and on Moshe veidaber Hashem elah meol moed lemor daber el bnei Yisrael v'makalem Adam ki akir mikem korban Lashem mina beima. A long section of tzivui, of command, of teaching, of Torah, of law, of Dibor, follows the setting up of the Mishkan exactly like it was at Har Sinai. So I think this is a new way to think about the Mishkan-Sinai parallel. It isn't necessarily like Ramban about mystical indwelling of the Shechina and presence per se. And it isn't, like Abarbanel, just a kind of symbol Of God's providence presence in comments uh, presence in quotation marks ki'ilu presence a symbol of providence it's rather an actual means for the continuation of revelation for the communication of dibor because parashinah is all about dibor Dibor, communication teaching of Torah and so to mishkan Um, and this is a very interesting idea one which could be developed further in terms of the notion of how Torah is meant to be revealed and how it's meant to continue on. But this would be a topic, a larger topic for a different time. This is one theme I wanted to elucidate. I'd like to try to point out another theme perhaps to think of as a, a fourth interpretation of the Mishkan Sinai parallel or perhaps a, a, a kind of second and new way to think about the Mishkan Sinai parallel. And to see this, I'd like to take a look at some important psukim found near the end of Parshat Tetzaveh in Perak. Kavtet um, Pasuk Membet Per Kaftet Pasuk Membet says uh, as follows uh, after the command of the daily Kavrenot near the end of Pasha Tzachve reads as follows Olat Tamid Petach uh, this will be an ongoing offering a continuous offering uh, for your generations at the door of the Ulmoid the I will meet with you to speak with you. We have here the meeting theme, the Dibur theme that we spoke talked about in Olmo and Mishkan. And I will meet with you there or meet with Bnei Israel there, and I'll be sanctified in my glory. etc. And then in Pasak Meh Israel, I would dwell amidst Bnei Israel. Until this point, nothing new. The standard markers of Shechina the standard idea of kavod, the glory of God, the standard idea of no oddity of meeting, and the standard idea of teaching, of dibur, of speaking, the themes that we've emphasized so far. But then in the continuation of par- Kavtet Pasach Mem, hey, we get something interesting, a new language. It says as follows, V'shechanti betokh ben Yisrael, Vayiti lahem lelokim, and I will be for them uh, a God, The Lord. V'yadu yani Hashem, and not just v'ha'iti I will be, but v'yadu ki yani Hashem elokhechem, and you will know that I am the Lord your God, Esher etzeti o'tame eretz Mitzrayim, that took you out of it with the shachni b'tocham ani Hashem elokhechem. In these psukim here, which seem to represent the purpose of the Mishkan or the avodah, whatever the case may be, we have not only the standard ideas of shchina and Kavod, and Dibor, but also this new idea, uh, this new complex, vayiti Lachem Lelukim, being a God, of yaduki Hashem, a kind of knowledge, notions of religious relation and knowledge. And these notions of religious relation and knowledge are repeated or emphasized by the formula, Kineh and it sounds like this is kind of the purpose of the Exodus of Egypt. Asher Otseti Me'aretz Mitraim Betocham and this is connected up with this idea of Viaiti and via data, and of being and knowing. What, what does all this mean? I need to put this into proper perspective, um, we would have to go back, and I'd like to go back, all the way to the first part of the Sefer, to Shmot Perek Vav uh, Pasuk Vav, famous segment of the Chumash, which we all remember uh, quite well. And in Shmot Perek Vav Pasuk Vav, near the beginning of uh, Prashat Va'era, um, God speaks to Moshe and declares his intentions. And in a famous passage, the Torah says as follows, I will I I'll take you out from the burdens of Egypt. Now we normally refer to this parsha as the Abalishnut of Ge'ulah, the four languages of redemption, Vhotzeti, V'hitzalti, Vigaalti, Vilakachti, and of course the four kosot that we drink on Pesach at the Seder, the four cups are connected, are in accord with the four lashonot, the four languages of redemption. Now it's of course a well-known fact that wait a second, isn't there a, a fifth lashon of redemption, a fifth language of redemption, which is found later on in pasuk Chet. And the way the passage concludes in Pasuket is There are two parts here. There is the actual redemption, the four shanot of Ge'ula. And then there's the end, the tachlit, the purpose, uh, the fifth language of Ge'ula. And of course, there's some possible halachic significance to the term which we will not go into right now. Now, while this is certainly interesting and well-known, it is on some level incorrect. Because if there is a fifth language of Gula, then there's also a sixth and a seventh. And to realize this, we have to go back to Pasuk Zion. And Pasuk Zion reads as follows in Shemot Perk Vav. What well, we normally consider the fourth and I will be for them a God and you will know there's also the being for them a God and there's also the knowing there's the religious relation and the knowledge of that religious relation that connection that is mentioned here in these languages of Geula now in point of fact there are three parts to the languages of Gula. There are, in fact, I would say, there are Zion Lishanot, there are seven Lishanot. There's Hotseiti, the Itzalti, the Gaalti, which refers to the historical process of redemption from Egypt. And that's stage one. And that's one, two, and three. And then, there's Three, 4, 5, and 6. Which already describes an intimate relation. And then there will be this religious relation of God, of being God for them. And it's two-sided. It's dialogical. B'nai Yisrael know in response. They are aware of the existence of the relation. And languages, or notes, 4, 5, and 6, are the first telos, the first purpose of of the redemption. And then, finally, you get, of course, the end, the second purpose, the seven. So you have the group of three, which is the redemption, the group of three, which is the religious relation, and then the seventh, which finishes it off as the eventual coming into the land. Now, the question is, when does, or when do these latter three take place, or how do these latter three play, take place? The L'Kachti, the, the intimate relation, and the V'Hayiti, L'Chem and the Adati. And the answer is, they take place in the second Part of the sefer, and let us jump back to Parak to the story of Har Sinai and to some key uh, sukim found in um, Parak uh, Yutet. Pasuk Dalad and Vav, Dalad and Hey. Parak Yutet pasuk Dalad says as follows: God says to Moshe, "Say to B'nai Yisrael, rei tem asher asiti the Mitzrayim. You saw what I did to Mitzrayim. Ve'aseat chem al fein fei nisharim lifted you up on the wings of eagles, and I brought you to me. There's an intimate relation, a taking that has happened here. And you will keep my covenant. This intimate relation that exists between us, you'll keep the covenant. You'll be special to me. And this is, When B'nai Yisrael stand in Harsinai and encounter God for the first time, um, and the grit is contracted, that's, the continuation or the signing or the making of that intimate relation of Vilakakti. And that is what happens in Perakutet and on in the story of Harsinai, the striking up of that Vilakakti relation, um, that intimate relation. And where does it continue on? The answer is it continues on at Har Sinai and continues on after Harsinai. That intimate relation of being God, Vayiti, um, Vyodati, of knowing, of knowledge, that continues on. In the Mishkan, and this brings us back to Parakavtet, Pasuk Mem Hey B'shachanti b'toch bnei Yisrael in the Mishkan, Vayiti lahem lelokim, and they will know that I am their God, Ve'aduki ani Hashem, and they, I will be for them a God, Ve'aduki ani Hashem, and they will know I am God. Asherotei etchem eretz mitzrayim, that took them up out of Egypt. The whole complex of Sinai and Mishkan is about that second uh, group of the Zayin L'shanot the, the seven languages of Geulah it's about that intimate relation that being of God for them as God that knowledge of God uh, being God for them that religious relation of 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 connection and knowledge and where does it all happen? it all happens in Sinai and Mishkan it comes true in parts two and parts three of the book and I think this is the sense of what it means for Mishkan to be a continuation of Sinai it's a it's a continuation of that awareness, of that connection, of that knowledge, of that religious relation. So I think, on some plane here, we have outlined a slightly different theme in addition to the notion of Mishkan and Sinai. It's not just perhaps like Ramban, the mystical indwelling of the presence of Shekhinah. It's not just like Abravanel, perhaps a kind of symbol of God's providence. But from the side of the text, from the side of the text of the Chumash, it's also very much about communication, ongoing revelation and teaching of Torah. And finally, fourth, it's also about the theme of being in connection, of religious relation, of iti lachem lalkim viadati. that religious relation and awareness which comprises the essence of Am relation with God, embodied in the Mishkan, begun at Sinai, embodied in the Mishkan, and continued on, which of course represents the culmination of the redemption from Egypt.